Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. Um, I'm going to just preach for, for a moment on something that's really been heavy on my heart for, for a while. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans is probably my favorite book in the Bible, but it kind of changes every year, but I'll, I'll stick with that. The book of Romans is probably my favorite book in the Bible. We'll go to Romans chapter 12. And how the book of Romans is laid out is it's, it's broken up into four parts. The first part is it's letting you know that righteousness is required, that everyone needs righteousness, whether you grew up in church, whether you've, this is your first time in church, you've never heard about God or Jesus or any of it, we need righteousness and we need to be saved. We are all falling short of the glory of God. And the second part, the second four kind of chapter block is how do you receive righteousness? Righteousness received. So if I've realized I need it, how do I receive it? And we realize that it's by grace through faith that we receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The third part is how do you reject it? that you can reject it. It's not once saved, always saved, irresistible grace that everyone's going to be saved at, at the end of time. There is going to be people who can reject it, and it's letting you know this is how you reject it. And the last portion, 12 through 16, is about righteousness revealed. How do we live out righteousness in our life? And that's what I want to focus on tonight, or today, this morning. Right? I, I want to focus on how do we live out righteousness? I think that we come to church and we hear that we're saved, which is amazing. And we have righteousness in God and Christ Jesus and we're going to heaven. But I, I believe that Christ didn't just come to get us into heaven, but he came to get heaven into us and to transform us from the inside out. And so I want to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it says this, Now present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him, for that is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is the testing? That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I heard this story of a young, active, polit young political activist and uh, he was trying to win some votes for his political party and he goes up to a small businessman in his country and he says, hey, why are you not voting for our party? We have a great platform for small businessmen. And the man stopped and he thought and he says, well, the reason I'm not voting for you is because I don't always want to be a small businessman. I want to grow. I want to become something bigger. I want to become something that I'm not right now. And I think that this story is kind of indicative of all of us. And if we were honest and we focus on where we're at, that we are looking at where we're at, but there's someone that we want to become. There's somewhere else we want to go. There's a direction that we're looking towards. And, and really, life is not neutral in, in this human experience. We can't stay in the middle. We are either moving in one direction or the other. We are either being transformed by the renewing of our mind or we're being conformed to the patterns of this world. We cannot coast on neutral. And so what we have to ask ourselves today is, who am I becoming? And, and whether we understand this or not, is we become really from the inner dispositions of who we are. The direction or the disposition or really our focus determines who we become in this life. From the inside out, whatever our inner disposition is, that's kind of the direction that we walk towards and the person that we become. 
So the question is today that I want to help answer is who are we becoming? And if we're not becoming more like Jesus, how can we correct that? Because that is the direction of a disciple, is I want to become more like Jesus. So it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So I want to talk today a little bit about the mind. The mind is a complex mental state involving beliefs, feelings, values, and dispositions to act in certain ways. Our mind is complex, right? If you don't know that it's complex, just get married, right? It's like, you're like, what is going on half the time? I grew up all boys, and my wife is the easiest of all people in the world. I mean, she married me, and unfortunate for her in some ways, because I'm, I'm the emotional one, right? I'm the passionate one. I'm just like, but I grew up all boys, and I do not understand women <laughs> at all. I was so surprised when I got married, and on our days off, I was playing video games, and she's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is a great day. We have freedom now because we're married in Jesus' name, hello, and I can play video games. That didn't last all but two weeks, all right? Like, we understand, like, the, the mind is complex, right? Like, it's not a simple thing. It's not simple to define. It's not even simple to even quantify. There's, the, the mind is a complex space. And for the ancient Hebrews, there really was no distinction between soul, spirit, and, and mind. It was all kind of interchangeable. They would interchange these ideas of what these things were between the spirit, the soul, and the mind. But for Paul, and when he's writing to the Romans and in the New Testament, because he has a Greek audience, he's bringing a distinction to the two because the Greeks understood in their philosophy that there was a distinction between our spirit and our mind. So he's not just talking about our spiritual being. Come on, how many of you, we are very spiritual. This worship set, oh my gosh, it's spiritual, right? Like, oh, so amazing. <laughs> so sometimes we actually think that we are renewing our mind while our spirit is engaging with the Holy Spirit. But we can engage with the Holy Spirit in our spirit and actually be in alignment there, but be out of alignment in our thinking. And so the goal of what Paul is trying to say is he's starting off this whole practical part of the book of saying, let's align our thinking and let's transform our thinking because if we don't, everything else is going to kind of fall out of place. So the mind is made up of these. It's made up of ideas, information, images, the ability to think. The mind creates the framework on how we see the world and what we believe about it. The mind creates the framework of how we see the world and what we believe about it. So, depending on the inclinations of our mind or the belief about our, the world from our mind will determine the actions of our life. See, we want to define or we want to deal with actions all the time in church. How do I change this action in my life? If I'm angry, how do I change that anger and, 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 and correct it? Or if I'm, if I'm full of lust, how do I correct the lust? Or how do I correct this addiction? How do I correct this bad habit? And we start trying to deal with actions, but really we have to go a little bit deeper and deal with what do you believe about those actions? What do you believe about what Jesus can do with that? And it's a renewing of our minds. So successful Christian living is the minds being renewed so we can discern or test the will of God. And this is the way that I def define the will of God. Because sometimes I think it's, there's multiple definitions and sometimes it's hard to kind of pin down. For my life, this is how I define the will of God. It's God's decisions and God's direction. So how can we discern God's decisions 
in God's direction. How many of you in your point in life have been praying, God, I need to know what decision you would make, whether that's with business, whether that's with family, whether that's with, with, with marriage or, or your single life or whatever it may be. God, what decision would you make and what direction should I go? For the last two years, my wife and I have been praying through, God, is this your decision to move? Is this your direction for us to go? Because we want to discern not my decisions and my direction, but God's decisions and God's directions. And the level in which our mind is renewed is the clarity in which we can understand God's decisions and God's directions. So sometimes when it gets cloudy and it gets all over the place, it's because we haven't allowed our mind to be conformed or transformed into the image of God. And so we're trying to, we're actually fighting against our own nature to find God's decisions and God's directions. And really the, the, the goal of the Christian life is that obedience with, in step with the Holy Spirit becomes natural and spontaneous. Character is defined like this by a man named Dallas Willard. One of my favorite authors, he says, character is not who you are when no one's looking. Character is who you are without even thinking. So we want the character of Jesus produced in our life, not just when no one's looking, but we want it when, 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 without even thinking, that it's the natural response, that our natural response is what Jesus would have wanted. Our natural direction is what Jesus would have wanted because we've allowed our mind to be renewed and transformed so much so that we are making his decisions and we're going in his direction by our natural just like breathing. It is what comes from a natural place. It's natural and it's spontaneous, which means it's not striving. I believe that obedience shouldn't have to be striving in the Christian walk. It should become a part of who we are. Now, early on, it will be striving. Early on, there, there's kind of this like, notion of, um, you know, well, I, I don't, because I'm saved by grace, I don't have to do anything. I'm really against religion. Well, have you ever been married or in any relationship, there's something called boundaries. That's what defines marriage. It's like the most boundaries out of any relationship. If you don't like boundaries, don't get married. So when we say, I like religion, not relationship, we're actually trying to say, I like a relationship without boundaries. We don't like legalism, but there is boundaries to our relationship with God. And in those boundaries, if we can allow ourselves to be transformed to how he would walk and how he would move, guess what? This life for us as a disciple is going to be the way that God designed it. And it says there's the good, the perfect, the pleasing will of God. So we actually can fall into different categories depending on how we allow God to renew our mind. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. It's opposed to you, we th us thinking that we deserve it, but it's not opposed to us taking action from what we've received. So God wants to transform our thinking. He wants us to align to his decisions and his directions. And so I wanna talk about kind of two areas of the, the mind. I'm not a neuroscientist and I'm not a psychologist. Um, I, I, I am not a counselor, um, but I, I want to look at scripture. I want to look at kind of two different areas of the mind if we can today. And I want to look at ideas and images. And I want to hopefully by the end of the today that the Holy Spirit can align some wrong ideas and correct some wrong images in our life to help us begin the journey of renewing our mind. And the thing is this, this journey never ends, Right. There's always things that we're renewing and there's always things that God's restoring and there's always wrong ideas that God's correcting and wrong images that God's breaking down. This is the journey of a disciple. So the first thing is transforming ideas. 
ideas is the general model or assumption about reality. It's the framework in which you view the world. Ideas are kind of like subtle and hard to define. Um, and, and a lot of people today, they took a poll of youth pastors in, in, the, in America, and they said like 17% have a Christian worldview, which that's not a big win for people like myself who are youth pastors. It's like, ah, that stinks, you know? But I would say that most of them wouldn't even know what a Christian worldview is. Most of us, we can't even define what a Christian worldview is because ideas are subtle. They're subtle. They're cunning. Sometimes you think that you're doing something good and it's from a good worldview, but, but really it's an idea that, that, that it's this subtle, maybe off, it's a little bit off and it sounds good, but it's really not. And you can define your ideas by the culture that follows your idea. What's the culture in your life that flows from the ideas you have about the world. So ideas like freedom, right? Like freedom. Sometimes we think freedom means I get to do whatever I want because I'm free. Well, that's not freedom. That's liberty. I'm, I have the liberty to do whatever I want, but I don't have the freedom to do whatever I want. But we have a misconception of freedom, especially in the kingdom of God. Or, or, or spirituality, right? I, I work with young people. I've been a youth pastor now for eight years and I worked in, I've been doing it for 10 years. And I can tell you this, there's a lot of people that are spiritual, today. Young people are so spiritual. They are not afraid of the supernatural. It's like, I got my crystals, I charge them in the moon, and I'm just like really aligned today. Just feels good. I'm spiritual. Spirituality. We have a wrong idea about what spirituality is. What does it mean to be spiritual? Are we too spiritual? Are we hyper-spiritual? Are we not spiritual enough? And we even just bring this into church. It's like, well, they're not spiritual. Or they're too spiritual or this or that. And we have a wrong idea about what does it even mean to be spiritual. We have the wrong idea about success and what that is in the kingdom of God. The American dream is an idea. I'm not like here to, to bash on. It's not a bad idea, but it is an idea. That, that we all get life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we can build this life, and we have a white picket fence, and we have this amount of kids, and this, and that is success. See, the problem is we actually have an idea about what success is, and we've painted that because we live in a certain context, and we've given that to people, and then when they don't meet that idea of success, they're disappointed in themselves, and they begin to question whether or not they are this or that, and then you see a spiral, and, and especially in young adults, there's a reason why, because if you're not married by 30, and you don't have kids, You've missed the idea of success. But in the Bible, for example, Joshua 1, verse 7 and 8 says, Meditate on the word day and night, and your ways will be prosperous, and you will have success. Really, one out of only four times in the Old Testament do you see the word success, and every time it's attached to meditating on the word day and night. And that word success means to, be, to, to, to have understanding, to know how to really, what you're meditating on and how to apply it. So success to God is not uh, um, positions, possessions, and promotions. Success to God is can you apply my word to your life? See, that's an idea that God says, that's your idea of success, but really this is my idea. So success is not defined in positions, possessions, and promotions. It's defined by, can you apply what God has spoken to our lives through the help of the Holy Spirit? But the process of renewing our minds is we must recognize frameworks and patterns in our life, thinking 
and replaced them with Christ thinking. It says this in Philippians 2 verse 1. It says, so if there are any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of to do one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to do his own interest, but only the interests of others and have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The ideas of the kingdom of God bring us together. And in God's new Christian worldview, there's no such thing as selfish ambition, self-promotion, to be self-absorbed. Those are counter ideas to the kingdom of God. To be, that doesn't mean you don't have dreams and you don't have ambition, but what, you do, what that does mean is you lay that down at the feet of sacrificing for other people. That I'm not out here trying to compete and outdo the person next to me. So if we're like, you ever seen the parking lot team and you got two guys just really want to be the best? This is just like a fictional story. It's not like I've seen this before, right? <laughs> It's not real life. It could be, you know. But it's like you have the guy holding one side. He's like, and you have the other guy see him. And he's like. (laughs) Then he starts spinning it on his finger. And he's like doing the twirls around his back. Because it's like it becomes, who's going to be the best volunteer? It's like, that's not what it's about. Because the kingdom of God is not being about being noticed. The kingdom of God is not about getting the credit. And being of the same mind, of the same heart, means this, that we are here to do the same thing, which is to pursue Jesus and to serve one another. So my ambition for myself dies to my ambition of Christ and saying this is Christ's ambition for the church, that we love one another, we serve one another, we give to one another, and we are not here to dig it self-promotion or self-absorption, but we are here to serve the kingdom of God. That's an idea that God is transforming. And, he, and, and, and that's not an easy one, by the way. It sounds so good. It's like, oh, I want to serve. And you have the person who annoys you on the team, on the schedule. You told the team lead, please don't put them on the schedule with me. And they are. And you're like, what do I do? Dying to yourself is difficult. Like if it's your best friend, it's like, oh, I'll serve you all day. You're incredible. Let's go get Chick-fil-A. But the ideas of the kingdom of God would bring us together. Once again, it's nothing of selfish ambition, self-absorption, or self-promotion. It says this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself is judged by no one. For he, for, for, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Right, right here it says, But we have the mind of Christ. One, the idea of spirituality is then defined for us right there. What does it mean to be spiritual? Is that we can discern the things of the spirit. When we are of the natural realm, we can't discern the things of the spirit. When we live with a natural mind, we can't actually discern. It's when we discern the things of the spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal and remove and and we begin to repent and things begin to change. But then it says we have the mind of Christ. Not that you will receive the mind of Christ, but you know, later on is you've already received it. So as a believer, when we become believers and we, be, we get saved, we put our faith and we are persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he was going to do, we receive the mind of Christ, which I would say is Christ's 
attitude and Christ approach. So we learn not just what God would say, but how God would say it. Now this is, I, we, we, we love, come on, go on Instagram and we'll see. We know what God would say. Anything happens in the world, it's like every Christian's like, well, this is what God would say. But the problem is we don't tap into the other side of things of how God would say it. Did you see, Jesus was a master at this. My biggest pet peeve in the world is that we treat the, you know, Jesus and the disciples as like these really uneducated hippies who just like floated around and like didn't, weren't intelligent. It's like, no, first of all, Jesus was God and was the most intelligent person that has ever lived. His logic in every argument is airtight. And it's like, whoa. Or his disciples were geniuses. The way that they wrote is literary masterpieces. So, so the understanding is we have that mind. We have the mind of Christ. We can tap into creativity like nobody else. We can tap into genius like nobody else, not because we are great, but because the Spirit of God has unlocked something and says, I am going to give you a gift, and it's the way that I think. That is a beautiful gift because we can consult with the Spirit of God and say, God, not only what would you do, but how would you do it? And not, I don't want to just know the what, I want to know the how. How would you say this? How would you approach this? How would you pastor? How would you reconcile with this family member? How would you heal my marriage? How would you heal my family? How would you do this business deal? God, how would you do it? Because I'm tired of doing it how I would. We have to get to a point where we are tired of doing it how we would. And it's in that space that we can then receive the way that God would. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, try to do it on your own for 21 days. And then you'll realize you can't. And then you'll rely on Jesus. The same is with the thinking. Try to live our lives as a disciple of Jesus without a renewed mind quickly we will understand that it's like, wow, I am still really jacked up. <laughs> because our thinking must align with what we already possess, which is the mind of Christ. So his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. One of my favorite people, Nathan Finocchio, he was here a few months ago. He says, we may not be able to know God perfectly, but we can know God accurately. And I think one of the greatest cop-outs is that we say, well, I don't understand this verse, so you know what? God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm not even going to study it. <laughs> no. Wrestle with it. There are passages of Scripture that's like, I have no idea what's going on here. How about Elisha? When he steps into his ministry and these young kids are like, hey, what's up, bald head? And he's like, all right, a bear is going to kill you. It's like, whoa, that's savage. Like... I want to study that. I don't want to say, well, God's ways are higher than our ways, you know. And if I start going bald, I can just call bears on people. Right? Like, that's how it works. It's in Scripture, right? So it's to know God accurately. Even in eternity, we'll never know God perfectly. Because God's God. We're not. But we can know God accurately. And we can worship Him accurately. So first we have to understand the ideas and transforming ideas, which are just cultures in our life that frameworks in which we see the world. But the second one is images. 
And this is where it gets a little bit more difficult. This is really where the rubber meets the road. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says this, And for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The place where our spiritual warfare takes the most place is in the strongholds of our thinking. It says this, it says, images which are concrete beliefs that we have in our lives. These images have connections to feelings. Could have been a situation, an experience that kind of fortified this image in our life. It's confirmation that we build upon an already deformed idea system. So this is really what it is. When we have a deformed idea system, we then have um, an experience that confirms that idea system that we had about the world. And when we have that experience that connect with that idea system, it becomes an image that we worship. And the first and foremost, kind of the images that are going to be attacked are always the improper belief about God, about people, and about ourselves. These are kind of like the three overarching, we have ideas about God that can become images that we worship. We have ideas about people that we can begin, the images in which we believe that we begin to worship. We have ideas about ourselves that become images. See, we don't like to talk about idol worship right now in 2022. This is idolatry in our context. Like we're not worshiping statues. You know, we don't live in like a pagan society where people have like wooden statues and are praying to them. But we, and so we act like idolatry doesn't exist. But idolatry is not just praying to Dagon, the wooden statue in the Old Testament. Idolatry is believing a wrong idea about God, about people, and about ourselves and putting it in a space where that it connected with an experience. And now that is the basis and the direction in which I live my life. This determines how I live. That's really what worship is. This gets the glory. This gets my direction. This gets my attention. Dangerous ideas create images that we worship. Romans chapter 1. They, they suppress the truth for a lie. They begin to worship creation rather than the creator. And then we begin to see a list of images that were created. Whether that was sex, anger, bitterness, greed, gossip. They became images. And it says they knew what they were doing was wrong, yet they celebrated those who did it. A wrong idea system connected then to an experience creates an image. And ideas about this. Money, wrong ideas about money create an image about money. And that could be either way. You could either have a poverty mindset, which is an idea that I will never have enough, so i got to hold on to what I can and spend it while i got. Right? Like So if I have money, I'm spending it because it just doesn't matter. Because there's no way I'm going to get more. Or we can have a kind of greed mindset that it's like, I got to hold on to what's mine and grow my empire because you know what? I'm not going to lose what I already have. See, both are wrong ideas about money because both are rooted in fear. One of, I'm never going to have enough. And two is, I don't want to lose what I have. But it creates an image that we worship. We think money will be the thing that fixes us or would be money the thing, we think money is the thing that sustains us. So a wrong idea about money creates then an image in which we worship. Well, really, with God, it's I supply the seed to the sower. So it's about stewardship with God. It's about generosity. 
Not poverty, not, not wealth or, or, or selfish. It's about generosity. That's the idea of money. But a wrong idea about money becomes then an image. Or how about the wrong idea about a father? Maybe your father abandoned you, or maybe your father walked out on you, or maybe your father was there but not there. A wrong idea about a father then can create an image of how you even worship your heavenly father. And instead of receiving affirmation from our heavenly father, we we look for affirmation from anybody else that's a male figure, or the opposite of that. Because we didn't want our male figure in our life. An idea then creates an image. And the thing is this, I actually think that in our day and age right now that we are fighting idolatry more than ever. Because we have ideas about success, we have ideas about marriage, we have ideas about family, we have ideas about church, we have ideas about all of these different things. And they are actually deformed idea systems that are not of the kingdom of God. But because we've believed them for so long and we've had experiences that build upon them, we now have images that we worship and we aren't even worshiping God the way that God has designed us to be worshiped. Not because we don't want to, but because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to correct and remove some wrong ideas and some images in our life. The combination of ideas and images become how we receive events in our lives. You ever, you ever been in a room where something happens and two people see it completely different? Can you believe that happened? And I'm like, what happened? I don't know. It's like the person who's obtuse and has no idea that that was offensive, right? That's me. It's like, oh, I didn't know. And the person who's just like, everything's offensive. It's like, you go, all right, I don't want to talk to you because you're going to be mad at me, right? It's funny because how we receive the world is directly connected to the ideas and the images in which kind of form our mind. And, and, and then it's how we perceive it. And they can determine the meaning of events or even blind us to what's actually happening because we only see through the image in which we worship. In, in the garden, Satan didn't come. You know, Dallas Willard says this, Satan didn't hit Eve with a stick. He hit her with an idea. Did God really say? This is damaging because that's what an idea is, right? Did God really say this? Did God really mean this? Is God really that good? So that idea then created an image. Why? Because based off that idea, she acted and responded and, and, and ate of the thing that God said, do not eat of. And what was created was an image of shame and separation. So ideas, when acted upon, create images in which we live by. They begin to hide. So Jesus had to come to restore God's image. When it says that we are image bearers of God, it means that we are representations of God here on this earth right now. When it says do not take the Lord's name in vain, it's not just about not saying a certain cuss word. It's about representing God well. That commandment is really more about don't misrepresent me, please. It's as if it was the owner of the company sent a proxy to the board meeting and we are that proxy. Please do not speak on my behalf on something that I would not say. Please do not act in a way that I would not act. Please do not behave in a way that I would not behave. Be someone who represents me well. So Jesus had to come and restore this image. Why? Because humans could not figure it out. It's because of sin. Even the best of us couldn't do it. Abraham was crazy. I would never do that, but maybe I would. I don't know. But he's in Egypt. He's like, yeah, this is my sister. It's like, that ain't your sister. Then Pharaoh gets 
you know, leprosy and then he gets blessed. I don't know how it works. <laughs> how about David or Moses? You can go down the list of people that there was, they were people of faith, but they didn't always perfectly represent God well. So what God had to do is, I'm going to do this myself. So Jesus is the perfect self-revelation of God. I want to know how God talks. Look at Jesus. I want to know how God thinks. Look at Jesus. I want to know how God would look. Look at Jesus. I want to know who God is. Look at Jesus. He is 100% God and 100% man. And he came to this earth to restore God's image and to then place it in front of us and say, that is the image that you chase because that's me. And the Spirit gives us access to how he thinks. So we can see who God was in Christ, and then we get access to how he thinks through the Spirit. Hebrews 1 says this, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint of his nature, of his word and of his deed. It's like a coin is the word when it says imprint. It speaks of like a coin. And in the day, it would imprint Caesar's face on it. So you knew who this belonged to. Jesus is the exact image of God himself. He represents God perfectly. That's why the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus is better. It, is, it could have done one chapter and said, Jesus is the best. <laughs> Let me sum it up for you in a tweet. Jesus is the best. But instead, it's 13 chapters of proving why Jesus is better. Jesus is the better priest. This is the better temple. This is the better way of living. Jesus is better because he is the perfect image of God himself. And the band can come on up. This is where I finish. But imagine the greatest image of all time that has changed our Western society was the image of Christ on the cross. It was an image. He was resetting the standard of what it meant and what God would do. And he says, I'm a God who loves and a God who sacrifices and a God who gives. And I'm going to do so. And I'm going to die a death that I do not deserve. And I'm going to give you an image of this is what it looks like to be one of my followers. As you die to yourself and instantaneously you both forgive and you give. So you can't be bitter and you can't be stingy. Why? Because that's not who Jesus is. We can't be someone who's holding on to the path. Jesus didn't do that on the cross. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was an image to reset all images. There's this book called Dominion by a man named Tom Holland who was an atheist. But the whole book is tracing back to a man in Nazareth who died a sinner's death, a, a thief's death. And yet that very image has changed the course of Western history as we know it. Everything good we know about our life and society, we can trace back to the cross because it was an image of what sacrificial love is. And if an atheist can recognize that, how much more should those who walk in the spirit of God recognize what Christ did on the cross? See, the word in Hebrews, or, or sorry, the word in uh, Romans 12 for mind is the word noose. It just is speaking of our thinking. But the second most used word in the Greek New Testament text is the word metanoia, which means repent. So when we talk about repentance, it's directly connected to our mind, our thinking. 
right? Sometimes with repentance, like we don't really know what to do with that word, right? The Catholics, it's like, you gotta go repent to the guy in the box, right? Which is cool, I get it. I actually like confession, right? Charismatics is just, we speak in tongues until it goes away, right? Just gotta get rid of it. But what is repentance? Jesus says, repent for the kingdom is near. Does he mean just like, yeah, you know, just say sorry and it'll all be good, right? Even those who have kids, you know, sorry sometimes not enough. I need to know that you understand what is happening and you're not gonna do this again. So the word metanoia, that's when it's talking about repentance, it's saying, I want you to change your thinking about this thing. So when we are faced with conviction, which we should be as believers all the time, because we are not God and we're pursuing to be more like him. So when he reveals to us, hey, that's a wrong idea and that's a wrong image that you're worshiping. Metanoia or repentance would be this. Okay, God, change my thinking about it. I wanna think the way you think about that. If it's sex, if it's money, if it's abandonment, if it's bitterness, if it's anger, whatever it may be, change my thinking about that. Don't let it be an image. Replace that image with your image and how you see that thing. And then you confess it. And this is where I like what the Catholics do is not just confess to Jesus, but find somebody in the church that you trust, your small group leader, your pastor, and say, hey, I'm confessing this to you because confess to God and I'm saved, but I need some healing and I'm gonna confess this wrong idea and this wrong image I've been living by. Can you help me? Because I wanna change my thinking about it. So can we stand to our feet today? And uh, we're just gonna do a practice of metanoia. And if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, you can have the opportunity to repent, which means change your thinking about who God is in your life. And it's no longer ourselves and it's Jesus. Jesus, you are my Lord, you're my savior. That's what salvation is. And you put your faith and your trust in him. But even as believers, if we're honest, we all can need repentance in our life probably every day. That's what keeps us pursuing Jesus. And so today, if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads and just have a contemplative moment, can we just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what are some ideas and what are some images in my life that are not of you? And then as they come up from your spirit and into your mind. It could be ideas about money. It could be ideas about anger. It could be ideas about sex. It could be ideas about God. It could be ideas about others. It could be ideas about church and people and all these different things. Or it could be ideas about yourself and you don't measure up and you don't have this and you don't have that and you're not this and you're not that. And, and then once that thing comes up, then begin to confess it to Jesus and say, okay, God, give me the mind of Christ about this thing change my thinking. I repent. I'm turning from that. I'm not going to think that way anymore. 
I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to think that way anymore. And I'm going to pray over us. And then we're going to go back into worship. And Lord, right now I pray for everybody on the sound of my voice, whether in, in the room or online. And God, I pray right now there are areas in all of our lives that we are saying, change our thinking about this. God, I pray that there's people in this room that have come into this place angry at church because of church leaders in the past and people in the past. And, and they don't even want to receive. But God, I pray right now that you begin to change our thinking and change their thinking about the bride of Christ and that it's not about the people that have failed them, but it's about the person who gave their life for them and his name is Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now for those who are in their marriage right now and they're at odds and they're, I just see them, they're on two different sides of the room and, and they're not coming together. Lord, I pray that you speak to both of the people in the couple right now and begin to change their thinking and say, it's about giving, it's about serving, it's about loving one another. And I pray you're bringing them back together. You're bringing healing, you're bringing wholeness, you're bringing hope again. I pray for that teenager that thinks that I'm, I'm just, I'm not this and I'm not that and I don't know how to, you know, I don't know what's next. And God, I pray you begin to just more, morph and change your thinking about their future and that it's in your hands and that you are with them every step of the way. God, we thank you that you are good. And I pray for that person today who doesn't know who you are and hasn't met you in a relationship with you. And I pray that as they confess with their mouth and they believe in the heart that you are God and that you died for us, there's gonna be a supernatural, overwhelming spirit of God that comes from the top of the head to the bottom of their feet, that they are beginning to have this understanding that you can change who they are and they can become more like you. So Jesus, in this place of worship, in this space of reverence, we give it to you and we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.